0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns,
1: opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting On Demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, April 18th, 2021. Huge ratings this week. The data scientists at WrestleNomics headquarters have been working tirelessly on a new wrestlenomics Ometer meter measuring system to measure the normalcy, or lack thereof, of week-to-week ratings. That system was broken this week, in the first week in the post-war era of wrestling TV ratings. Much to everyone's relief, WWE finally put out its proxy statement, Nick Khan has been compensated enough money probably to fund a small army. That means we also got an update on WWE ownership. Plus, exciting new revelations from the world of correspondence between World Wrestling Entertainment and the Securities and Exchanges Commission. Just who are WWE's biggest customers, whoever they are, we now know by year just how much they paid WWE all that coming up but first and now joining us from uh WrestleNomics HQ 2 Chris Gullo who is suffering from the second vaccine shot right now
1: yeah I got the chills a little bit but uh, I'm powering through here for the, the great WrestleNomics uh, listener audience so. yes
0: you got you, you got the Pfizer vaccine now your yep. second dose just three weeks from now, you will be immune. You will have full immunity. You'll be ninety-nine percent immune from COVID nineteen.
1: Until they say, "Hey, you got to get it again in six months."
0: Until it mutates. Which I'm fully totally expecting. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I expected to have a, a new microphone by this time, but I do not have it. I I bought a microphone, a uh, pod. What is it the Rode Rode brand Pod mic? Uh, from eBay, from a mysterious uh, seller who had very few, uh, you know, very few interactions or transactions. In, in their parentheses, and I, but I figured it would be fine because it was a good price, and I'll, I'll take my chances. I never got it, and that that user is now deleted. That user now does not exist on eBay, so I've had to order that microphone from Amazon. Hopefully, I'll get a refund here from eBay or something. Do so you having to uh, buy it through PayPal at all? No, I use my back? credit card. I use my credit okay. card, but I'll, I'll. I think I can. I think I'll be fine. Otherwise, uh, re- there's going to be some problems for the Russell Knox Accounting Department pretty soon. I've been working on Python. Do you know what Python? As we have discussed this before, I'm uh, building Frankenstein's out of uh, Python script in most of my free time at the moment. Uh, I'm creating programs that will scrape Shubas Daily. That will scrape Google Trends. That's mostly that's mostly been established. But now I'm I'm building Programs that will automatically read the text, the top one hundred fifty texts on the Shoba's Daily pages, and that will automatically open Shoba's Daily web pages in my browser. So, look out! I have submitted my uh, API application to Twitter. They uh, they sent an email back to me saying they need more information from me. So I don't know what other information they need from me beyond what I already gave them, but uh, we'll see what happens. If I will be creating any Twitter bots in the in the near future, we'll see.
1: All right, so you, uh, you're ready to kind of talk about the week after WrestleMania here. And it was a pretty eventful week, Brandon. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get right into it, something we talked about last week. We were very intrigued on the ratings. How are the ratings going to turn out for uh, the shows that were moving and just for Raw and SmackDown after WrestleMania? And we'll kind of start with uh, AEW, which might be the darling of the week uh, with their ratings increase. Uh, why don't you get into a little bit of how I believe one2
0: million uh yes total viewers the the big story in ratings this week ms and mrs wipe out <laughs> totally overshadowed by by aew's rating as you said 1.2 million viewers the second highest aew has ever done for dynamite on tnt just short of its debut which also did 1.2 million viewers but a little bit more than this one um did a .44 in the demo rating of 18 to 49. That comes out to about 570 thousand viewers in in that key ad demo. That is not the highest; uh, the second highest in the history of the show. That is only the highest since December 9th, which is that episode after Winter Is Coming that did even better than than Winter Is Coming uh, that had sort of the the advertised uh, interview of Sting for the first time. Um, but a really high rating. Uh, a lot better than it had been doing in the weeks uh, leading up to this. To the the final weeks of the Wednesday Night War were really uh, NXT getting more and more competitive with uh, with AEW uh, than it than it had been in in the more recent months. So, <clears throat> but this did I, I don't know what they did last week. They did something like seven hundred or eight hundred thousand viewers total. Uh, seven hundred, I believe. And uh, but this episode in eighteen forty nine ranked number two on among cable originals. Uh, It beat two NBA games that it was going against on ESPN.
1: That's impressive.
0: Which I've, I've heard Tony Khan is ecstatic about. Uh, It did not beat challenge. Of course, MTV, which ranked number one on cable. And it did not beat the Masked singer on Fox, which did an enormous demo number of uh, 1.22. But uh, I was very surprised by this. I was uh, sort of refreshing show daily. Of course, on Wednesday or the Thursday afternoon. And uh I was just shocked when I saw this one point two million viewer number. I had to, to look a couple times to make sure I didn't make a mistake because I do I do make mistakes sometimes here and, and like read the wrong number in the in the row. I'll just
1: say we knew there was gonna be an increase. I was expecting a million. I'm sure maybe that's what you were expecting too.
0: I I was expecting NXT to benefit more from this move than, than AEW. I expected AEW to benefit as well, but NXT NXT to benefit more because I sense and, and there's sort of the numbers and the trends over, over the last year and a half bear this out that people have chosen, wrestling fans have chosen AEW a little bit more than they have chosen NXT. So now not not having to make that choice that that would benefit NXT more, but it didn't. Um, AEW uh, benefited a lot more, at least in one week, and we'll see what happens uh, in, in the weeks to come. But uh, when this number, in the minutes after this number was first realized, I brought this to the attention of of someone in AEW, who may or may not have previously hosted this podcast, <laughs> and he did not believe me that that was the real number. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I said, "Oh, Showbuzz will have it in a moment," and, and, and they they did. Um, so that and this is this is Nielsen. This is the number that anybody's going to have access to. Um, although, if you are a Nielsen subscriber, you will have access to a wider variety of, of demos and breakdowns and, and things of that nature. But uh, yeah, what, what do we attribute this to, though? Um, you had Mike Tyson. Is it is it WrestleMania 14 here all over again? Did Mike Tyson draw this number? I I, I kind of doubt it. Um, I, I'm sure he helps, but he, I don't think he's the lone factor. Um, I've heard a lot of people say, Hey, look, Chris Jericho did this interview on the WWE network on WrestleMania weekend with Steve Austin, the Steve Austin podcast, whatever they call it, uh, which some people have called an, an ad, a two hour ad on the WWE network for AEW. Um, Maybe that's a factor too. It was Mania a week, so it's maybe sort of a general. Uh, it was you know it's the first episode following WrestleMania, so maybe there's a general increased interest in wrestling overall. Um, but also AEW. I don't know if this is reported elsewhere, but AEW did local advertising on USA the night before when NXT was on in some markets. So maybe that's a factor too. Yeah. Um, as far as a, a demo, this is re- really on the high end, but but not so high. Uh, So much on the high end as the total viewership was, but we'll see what happens. I guess the the question is, you know, is how close is this number to where AEW now lives? I expect it will be lower uh, this coming Wednesday when we get the number on Thursday. Um, We'll be over a million though. I I guess that's a, I I remember saying this, I'm so proud of myself though. I remember saying, you know, a million is a good over under, to think about where AEW was going to perform in its debut episode. And I think a million is good over under to think about where it's going to perform next week as far as are they going to maintain uh, this audience of this size. Um, I, would, I would expect about a million, maybe about a million and maybe a bit, a bit lower in the demo, maybe a point four zero or something like that is a good, good over under.
1: One of the factors that I think it is, and I know it's not the key demo, but the 50 and plus, I mean, looking at it, that increased uh, f- for, for AEW and I mean you think these are probably WWE loyalists that now don't have a WWE program Wednesday nights oh big shows over there oh Chris Jericho's over there I feel like that's kind of what gravitated them to over there um, oh well, I'll check that out since there is no WWE program on this evening
0: that's right and did you know that the viewers over the age of 50 this week who watched the dynamite on TNT this was the biggest p50 plus audience in the history of dynamite Bigger than the debut episode. Bigger than any P50 Plus audience that NXT has had on the USA Network. As we may know, as view, you know, listeners may know, NXT beat AEW, I think, in in every week except for one among viewers 50 or over. There are some weeks where we just don't have the, the P50 Plus number because they didn't finish in the top 50 for 1849. But in those that we do, I think there's only one instance where AEW beat uh, NXT in P50 Plus. So... This this big total viewer number is totally carried by by viewers over the age of fifty. Um, so we'll move on to NXT. All right, so an uh, NXT
1: first Tuesday night show in a permanent time slot there, and they saw an increase as well. Well, it took a nice increase, but Brandon, from what you're alluding to, you expected even more.
0: Um. I would have to look. I mean, they still did a, a really good number compared to what they had done the last week. It's weird because, you know, as I said, NXT appeared to be gaining ground on AEW in the weeks leading up to the end of the war here, and they did something that was within the range of what they had done the week in, in, in those last two weeks of the war. They did a .22 in the demo. It's what they did the last two weeks, uh, but they did do, I, I don't know that they even did a, a higher viewership number. I would have to look, but they did a .22 in the demo. That's the same as they did for the, for the takeover. Now, granted, they did the takeover where they had some portion of viewers that we don't know watching on on Peacock because that takeover episode was on both Peacock and USA Network. Um, but two weeks ago, they did a 0.21 in the demo. Again, they did a 0.22 this week, so almost the same. But then three weeks ago, they, they went all the way down to a 0.14. So uh, what is that? That's like a third, that's thir- a 33% increase over that. And then that 0.14 was more in the neighborhood of what they had been doing in... in uh, in the in the last few months of the Wednesday Night War, um, in in the demos, so I, I really figured that these two programs would be really competitive, uh, would be more competitive now in terms of their numbers, not running head to head. But AEW beat NXT in all of the. I think there's eight or nine showbos demos. Uh, AEW was ahead solidly on all of them. By the way, Raw. Uh, we'll talk about Raw in a moment, but Raw was ahead of AEW. So now we've got we got. And, and and this is nothing really new, but we've got you know these these really different stratospheres where uh raw and smackdown live up here, SmackDown doing a little bit better, and we got raw you know there, and then there's this the AEW stratosphere, and now there's this near it, but right below it's the NXT stratosphere. And then of course very close to the ground there's the impact stratosphere. Uh but that yeah, that's 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 where they are. And I think the question about NXT is a similar one to the question about AEWs. Is, is this how close is this to their normal rating going forward when they're not opposed on a Tuesday night? Um, this more so than the AEW number, where I where I say you know they did 1.2 million here. I think they a good over under is a million. I think the number that they did here is a good over under for what they will do going forward or what they will do this coming week. Um, 800 thousand viewers, 0.22 in the demo. Uh, if they do lower than that it starts to get con- not concerning yeah. to the to the network and all that stuff but sort of like oh i th- thought maybe they would do better
1: well it's interesting because this total viewer count that they got was the average that aw would get going against them head to head and then this is the number that that they got uh here on a tuesday running unopposed um i mean i expected it might even be a little more but i mean eight hundred five thousand, i think is pretty much what it you know it's it's a good it's a very good increase from I mean what they average, they usually average what 6 to
0: 650 I think something so. like that uh 650 700 yeah in the last couple of months and then moving on to Monday night raw it's post WrestleMania episode of course at, at least in my opinion Monday night raw is post WrestleMania is is very interesting because of how the crowd is going to react and although there were fans at WrestleMania there were not fans who were back in the thunderdome uh, for for Raw. Last year, the post-Mania episode did a totally normal number relative to what it had been doing in the previous weeks. It, there was no pop. There was no post-WrestleMania pop in the number. It was like negative one compared to the media in the last four weeks last year. This year, something like a 16% increase compared to the last four weeks. This was the highest, what is it? This was the the highest total audience since January 4th, since that Legends night with Hogan and whatnot. But this was the highest demo number, a 0.68, 0.68 in the demo. Remember, for comparison, AEW did a 0.44, NXT did a 0.22. So this is like three times what NXT did. Uh, this is the highest demo audience, uh, 1849 audience, since last year's post-WrestleMania, which was a disappointing number, but it's declined since then to, to such an extent, because partly because that's the nature of TV viewership in general. Uh, with people watching TV less. Uh, But their highest uh, demo number since last year's WrestleMania, they swept the top three slots in the 1849 audience. They were only behind American Idol on ABC and The Voice on NBC. So Vince, you've got to do more singing, I think, if you really want (laughs) to do even better. I think you need to become more of an entertainment show. Um, And what people are not talking about, I I really... um, I probably don't talk enough about the reality programs and and their viewership. Ms. and Mrs. uh, had the lead in from Raw at 11 p.m. And they did 405,000 viewers. They did a 0.26 rating in the demo. What does that mean? That is the highest demo number that they've done since season one in 2019. So this is a really good number. They ranked number 12 on the night among cable originals. Uh... That demo number is also the highest. That that rank is also the highest since 2019. So, <clears throat> but this was the, I guess this was the first, I, I don't watch Miz and Mrs. I don't know if you do, Go. Uh, I I don't. I mean, I know it's just came
1: back. I think this is like a new season.
0: This, according to Wikipedia, this is still the same season. We're still still on season two. Okay. But this is the first new episode since December. We are still on season two, okay. apparently. Despite so the
1: mid-season finales. Th-
0: th- 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 that's what that I is, guess. Right? Yeah. We're still on season two, despite there being two multi-month hiatuses here. Um,
1: To go back to Raw, mm -hmm. how bad do you think the drop is next week? Because, I mean, obviously, traditionally, we see, you know, the night after WrestleMania. And then, you know, I mean, it's not like they did anything like that. or They're like, hey, tune in next week for this. What's going to happen? Like, the surprises were not, like... Because I think they were trying to save that for SmackDown, or at least what I thought. <laughs> so I don't, I, I do expect to kind of go back to normal ratings for them next
0: week. Yeah. Yeah. I expected to do a, a normal rating, um, somewhere in the 1.7 million viewers, somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, getting close to, to Dynamite in, in some, uh, in some respects, in some demos, you know, in December where, um, AEW had a really strong December because it had Winter is Coming. It had that episode after Winter is Coming that we we mentioned that did really even better. Uh, it had the, the Brody Lee uh, tribute episode that did a, you know, a lot of viewers as well. Um, in some demos, AEW uh, in the same week was getting really close. And I think in, even on one occasion in 18 to 34, the younger half of the 18 to 39 uh, did better than Raw in one week. So. I, it would be really curious to see, and I'm, it'll, I'm sure it'll be a fun Twitter game to watch. Uh, in what demos, AE, AEW comes the closest, or maybe even edges out RAW uh, in in the weeks to come. Um, but yeah, do you remember? I think I don't know if we talked about this already since you've been doing this podcast with me here. Do you remember we um we did a uh, in 2019 in the weeks before? I think it was August, right? NXT yes. had just been announced that it was going to go to the USA Network, and we like predicted. What the? I uh, do
1: remember this. Yes,
0: and someone said that you're going to see younger viewers uh, tune out of Raw and SmackDown, and you'll see more younger people watch AEW or NXT or something like that. Um, but anyway, I, I, that'll be really inter- interesting to see. I think you know the ones in War it gives gives us a lot of um, evidence to show this P50 plus audience. This they've, WWE has this bank of loyal viewers who are over the age of fifty who. At least in terms of a total viewership, it's going to be very difficult for AW to ever overcome this, you know, this large audience that W has. It sort of it speaks to what the traditional thought is about about why eighteen forty nine is valuable and and why P fifty plus is not as valuable to an advertising uh, business because your uh, your your fifty plus viewers are tend to be more brand loyal, and you know apparently at least in what comes to behavior with linear TV viewership. we got a, a lot of people who have probably been very familiar with the W brand for many years, decades. And uh, AEW is, is a new thing that it may be harder to get them to try. So, but we'll see. Huge, huge P50 plus audience this week. But, uh, you know, I, I, again, AEW doesn't care about P50 plus audience that much because that's, you know, Turner wants them to get those 18 to 49 viewers because that's where the ad money is.
1: So, uh, now we'll, uh, move on to SmackDown, uh, which you would expect would have the maybe type of pop and circumstance that traditionally the night after Raw, uh, WrestleMania would have, but this being really the new flagship show, how did they do, Brandon?
0: So the first SmackDown since, um, since WrestleMania, we don't really have great numbers about this. We just got fast overnights, um, because they are a network program show those daily reports that, but 2 million looks, looks it looks like they did their unusual 2 million. It looks like they're behind shark tank and blue bloods uh, in the demo. My uncle. I'm selling like he goes ratings. He does. <laughs> yes. Uh, my uncle works as like in, in production on blue bloods or something. Oh, I've never really? watched That's though. Cool. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but uh, we, we do have clearer numbers about the, the, the WrestleMania SmackDown, which is a 2.25 uh, million. Viewer number 0.61 in the demo, which is I would say slightly above average for them, very slightly. I've got uh, in the in the viewership spreadsheet, which you can get access to at Patreon.com/slash I have created a gauge tab, um, sort of like if you're driving a, a, a race car and you look down to see the gauges, you can see uh, I've, I've created a metric that will that tries to assess based on the latest episode numbers. You know, how out of the normal was this? How much? Did, was this a big overperformance, or was this a big underperformance compared to the last four weeks? And uh, this is a slightly above average number for for SmackDown. This is the pre-WrestleMania SmackDown with um, okay. the Andre the Giant Battle Royal and all that.
1: Which they tried to this do was, almost
0: as a SmackDown pre—I mean, uh, WrestleMania pre-show. This was WrestleMania SmackDown, or was it SmackDown WrestleMania? In any event, look forward, <laughs> look forward, looking forward to WrestleMania Backlash coming up. <laughs> I can't wait till we have WrestleMania SummerSlam and WrestleMania Survivor Series. Ex- exactly. I think, you know, why not just, you know, WrestleMania, brand it all. Is, WrestleMania is this incredible brand that is recognized the world over. Why not just brand all of it WrestleMania? Well, it's funny you should say that because uh, I saw a tweet
1: from uh, MLJ, love Emil and he's like you know what he goes this is actually perfect because anybody you meet that's not a wrestling fan just thinks every event's wrestlemania and he's right like i i remember being in a uh an uber in uh, new orleans and the guy's like oh yeah man yeah we just had wrestlemania two weeks or two months ago so it's good to have wrestlemania again and i'm like no you didn't <laughs> like you had raw <laughs> like
0: i have a great podcast idea that you've just you just sparked in my mind next year if the world is normal and uh people are moving about in in a somewhat normal way. Uh someone should go to WrestleMania weekend and record a series of podcasts that is nothing but conversations with their Uber drivers. <laughs> it would be good Patreon content. <laughs> yeah, cuz you've you've been to a WrestleMania weekend, you've gone you've yes. used Ubers and it's always oh, like no, this like kind of astonished Uber drivers like they, oh they're happy because they get lots of business here. There's lots of demand for for rides, and they're like, "What is this all about?" You know, it's great.
1: <laughs> yeah, they're almost like like well, the one guy goes, "Where are you
0: going to?" Like, oh, I'm going to a live podcast about wrestling.
1: Yeah. He goes, why? <laughs> like, <Yeah. I'm-
0: laughs> yes. I used to, watch, and you, and it's always like, oh yeah, I used to watch that back in the day, kind of kind of guy, you know, yeah. King Kong Bundy and Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um Impact Wrestling in its second Thursday did a uh, a a very normal number for them I think 132,000 viewers. A 0.04 in the demo. Not much granularity in the demo, but it does look like Impact is like doubling what they did in April 2020 in the demo.
1: I am uh intrigued to see because they did announce that uh, whoever wins The champion versus champion match, that person is going to be on that other person's program weekly. So if Omega does beat Swan, it's probably gonna happen, right? I would imagine, which boom, I'm interested to see if that that does help them out a little bit. You know, people realize there's nothing else going on Thursday. Omega's there, and maybe, maybe eventually 200,000.
0: We'll see. It's happened a couple times. It definitely happened on, I think it's December 8th when he first appeared, Omega. Um, yeah, the um, and and this had been ha- this is not just an AEW Kenny Omega effect. Uh, I'm sure that's helping. But in the months before before December, when he started to appear um, on on Impact and other AEW personalities started to appear on Impact, uh, they had been doing better in 1849. We're comparing this to April of 2020, where the the demo numbers were really low, just maybe a function of the pandemic and there being no crowd. I I, I, I don't even know actually. Like, what kind of programming were they putting out in April 2020 at that point? Were they doing uh, no no fans tapings or did they have stuff in the can?
1: I think that I think it was best of Impact stuff because mm-hmm. I think right around that time is when they were redoing their app too. So with all the historical content, mm-hmm. um, I'm not 100 percent sure. I'm trying to remember because I know they went on a break for a while. I think they probably just showed best of, but they were like the first like to have empty arena like boom they were ready in Nashville. I, I don't think it was too much far after everything shut down.
0: Yeah, I, I should look into that somebody does the kind of research about about ratings that you should probably, should probably know that.
1: So, um, all right. So, uh, we're, we're going to move on to it. It, It's, it's here, Brandon, it's here. You've been waiting for it. You were misquoted about it in news articles. It's here. The WWE proxy statement. And, uh, and, and once again, it's a proxy statement, not a power
0: of attorney, as we saw (laughs) released in certain news articles. There was one, um, Sports, some some sort of some sort of news aggregator that covers sports from uh some some, some sort of uh international uh, region. Um Brandon Teisinger was talking about how there was no power of attorney yet, and this could be very concerning to um to shareholders. I think I think uh Ringside News uh had been had been covering this as well though, because we I tweeted the the clip of me talking about this. Um, but anyway, uh, the proxy statement finally did come out this week. I don't remember if it was Tuesday or Wednesday, but we have it. And, uh, a proxy statement is a, is a document. It's fairly long document that publicly traded companies put out every year that I think the intended purpose is to say, here's a bunch of information that shareholders want to know in advance of our annual shareholders meeting, which is coming up on May 27th. It sounds like it might be, we might be able to get access to the audio again. We'll see. Um, We did last year. That's the first time I've ever heard audio of a W shareholders meeting, which is different. People may not know this, but it's different from an earnings report, which happens every quarter. Which will be happening next week. Big day for you. We may have to do some sort of extra special audio. I don't know. We'll see. Or maybe I'll do it by myself. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see. Um, we'll be get compensation information about the top uh, officers, the co- top corporate officers in W. We get update on ownership, how many shares everybody owns. And what we've learned is it's not that surprising. We've got some information about this before because we know about his agreement that that was already published. But Nick Khan has enough money to, I, I, I did look, he's, he's not quite at, at the GDP of, of the smallest nations in the world, but uh, <laughs> not that far off either. Uh, 12, 13, if you round up, $13.0 million is how much he made from this company in the five months in 2020 that he worked for it.
1: I mean, he's the highest paid, uh, member of the board, right?
0: If you just yes. look at compensation. Yes. I and think that doesn't stocks and all that. And- so, so the board and the, the board has independent people who don't actually work for the company, but they do get compensated by W. I think they are, they are largely compensated or, or maybe exclusively compensated in shares. Um, we'll, we'll get to the board, uh, in a moment. Um, Nikon's base salary he made about a half a million dollars in his base salary this year of course that's only five, he's only been working there since August same with Christina Salen who is the new CFO but if you uh, it was a prorated salary of course right so if you if you if that was a 12 month period it, it looks like he would have gotten an annual uh, salary of 1.2 million dollars that's just his base salary though these are i I've, I've come to learn that when you're a, an officer in a billion dollar company like this a lot of your compensation does not just come from your base salary um, but he got a five million dollar sign on bonus, which we knew. So this will be an exceptional year of compensation, I think, for him. Um, of course, part of the agreement is he's sort of under a five year contract here to to work for WB for that amount of time. If he doesn't, if he works for WB for a less amount of time than five years, he has to pay that part depending on when he leaves. If he if he left, if he was terminated or decides to leave, leave, he would uh, have to pay part of his bonus back to WB. Um, so, expect Nikon to be with this company for at least five years, I think is the moral of that story. Um, he also got an enormous stock award, which is part of that sign on agreement as well. Um, So, yeah, he got a $5 million cash bonus, it appears, and he got a $6 million award in stock units. He'll get another $9 million of stock units in September 2022. I think this, I didn't quite understand this when I read it, but it, so, this is somewhat based on his performance, which is also part of the proxy statement where they uh detail how stock-based compensation is determined. And that is determined by by the independent members of the board of directors so that there is some sort of, in theory, fairness to this. Um, Christina Salen, uh, her annual salary appears to be in the neighborhood of $876,000 per year. So short of, of uh, Nick Kahn's salary. Nick Kahn has got a, yeah. a higher base salary than Triple H or Stephanie He is short of the $1.4 million that that Vince pays himself. None of this, by the way, includes dividends that any shareholder gets. When you're a shareholder like Vince McMahon, you have, I think, 28 million shares, something like that. They they just declared their dividend. They they declare a dividend every quarter, which pays out $0.12 per share. So Vince gets something like $3.5 million per quarter besides all this. So Vince makes I, you know, well over ten million dollars every year just from his dividends. That's probably his biggest source of of income. Um, Stephanie has a, a, just short of two million shares as well, so she gets like hundred something like three hundred thousand dollars a quarter. Um, she is the second largest individual person shareholder. There are a couple of institutions that have more shares than she does. Um, <clears throat> Stephanie and Paul Leveque, they have the same salary, and they have for. Uh, at least the last two years, they have identical salaries down to the to the dollar. Um, but Triple H usually get, makes a lot more because he's a wrestler and he has a, a bunch of big wrestling matches, including some in Saudi Arabia in the past and WrestleMania. Triple H staying the hell away from this pandemic though, at least at least as far as having matches in it. He
1: uh, he did work one match, did he? In twenty twenty? Re- uh, mm, no, yeah, no, not twenty twenty one, yeah. Yep, no, yeah. You're, you're talking right. you're
0: talking about the the Randy... I did think about this. The, the Randy had, Orton match. Yeah. I looked it up. Yeah. The, the Randy Orton match on Raw happened on January 11th, 2021, which I think was sort of an impromptu. Uh, Drew McIntyre's got COVID, so we got to do something in here as a make good. So might not have happened otherwise, I guess is what I'm saying.
1: He could have paid himself a salary for that one time he had to color commentate SmackDown when the pandemic first happened. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's right. Was it
1: him and... Was it him and Phillips? or him and... I almost wonder if they, Johnny LaQuasto, when it was brief time there, he, he did that. I can't remember who he was with on that. But
0: <clears throat> This is a great segue, though, because he makes some sort of inside joke uh, about the speculation that he had been demoted. Remember this? Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember that. And there was uh,
1: news stories because, everywhere.
0: Because the proxy statement had just come out, and Brandon Thurston had tweeted about it and said, oh, Paul Levesque's got a new title. He's now the executive vice president of Global Talent and Strategy and Development, as opposed to, like, the executive vice president of live events, talent, and creative, which was his previous title. Um, so everybody sp- – well, Meltzer had written that he was demoted. I did not say that he was demoted. Um, I, dis- I disputed that because – not because I think Triple H is awesome, but because – I don't I don't, know, I don't see that. Um, and, I, and I said at the time, you know, if we see the proxy statement come out next year and there's somebody else being compensated more generously than he is, and, and, and we, we don't. Um, now, maybe his wrestler pay makes that um, less transparent. But um, in previous years, we've seen people like Kevin Dunn on here, uh, but we don't. So I, 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 I'm skeptical that there's anybody uh, being compensated a base salary higher than him who is not listed here. So I don't whether, – whether Vince sees him as having failed to take a bigger bite out of AEW or not, I don't know. That's a different question. But it doesn't look like he's been promoted in any sort of, or been demoted in any sort of monetary sense. He's still got an identical salary to, to Stephanie. So, um,
1: and uh, so you saw new. You talked about maybe new names, surprising names. Well, we could talk about the board of directors that have added a but, but couple names. A few oh.
0: more things first. Okay, we've we've got um, we we got competition here for Frank Riddick. We won't get into that, but that's he was he was the interim CFO between George Berrios and uh Christina Salen. But we've got George Berrios still taking a million dollars from this company. That is right. I saw that severance. <laughs> yep. He's getting that one million severance, baby. Which which probably means that, that Michelle Wilson got got very similar, if not exactly the same amount. Um, because they were co-presidents and I think their I think their severance was identical. Um I think that was published. So I just thought that was not, not that surprising when you think about it, but amusing that even though he only worked one month for this company in 2020, he still got a million (laughs) dollars. So uh, that's fun. Um, Yeah. Shane McMahon. We always get disclosure about Shane McMahon's pay because he's a a family member. Um, He's not an executive. He owns no shares. Just a talent. Technically. He is just a performer. Although reportedly he is, he is working in some capacity as a producer in some cases. Um, he was paid $820,000 in 2020 for his role as a performer. So, uh he has been listed in in previous years in terms of his ownership even years after he left the company. Um but since then, so like since 2014, I don't I don't I don't believe that he's owned any shares. I think he I think he liquidated everything and probably uh, put it used it in some in some sense in in his his other business projects, but um Shall we talk about the uh the board of directors? Yeah, there were some new board of directors that were listed, Brandon. Yeah, so Nick Khan. So the who are who is on the board right now? Um do you do you have any guesses about who's on the board right now? Golo. Uh
1: you know, obviously Vince McMahon, Nick Khan would be the on chairman. the board, chairman. Yes. Um the uh I believe is Stephanie on the board? She's a board yes. member, yes. Uh, and then there is like people on the board, and some of the new people we talked about that technically like aren't really working for the company, but they're in making helping make decisions. It seems like. they they are they are
0: independent directors. So I think you are. I don't okay. know if, if, this is, if this is law or, or, or rule, but you have a number of independent directors who I, I, I think. You know, they, they they have shares, they're given shares as yeah. at least part, if not all of their compensation, and they, they are part of various committees. So I think they sort of make rules that are intended to be, um, you know, in, intended to represent shareholders and not necessarily represent the interests of the executives who may, who maybe have, conf- otherwise have conflicts of interest. So, um Triple H, Paul Aveck, is also a member of the board of directors. Okay. He's been a me- member of the board of directors for a few years now. Nick Kahn um, will will be elected as a member of the board of directors in the next shareholders meeting. <clears throat> but uh, Frank Riddick is still a member of the board of directors. He was before his his time as interim CFO, and uh, that's where he came from. Um, other other names: Jeffrey Speed, who is a former uh, executive for Six Flags, Laureen Ong, who is a former executive for the Travel Channel. These people have been board members for a long time. Uh, it, Stuart Goldfarb, his name is missing. Uh, He has up to this point been a a member of the board of directors. He is a co-founder and partner of of Mello7 Tech Partners. I don't know what that is. but uh, Manjit Singh has been a member of the board of directors for about a year or so. He's a former Sony executive. Alan M. Wexler has been a member of the board of directors for a few years. He is the senior vice president of innovation and growth at at GM, the auto, auto company. Steve Payman is a relatively new member of the board of directors. He's been very involved with Beyonce's world. Um, I've, I've speculated that maybe someday he, he, he's a candidate for being C- CEO of WB someday or interim CEO. Maybe that's Nick Khan though. Okay. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> um, and Erica Nardini, the CEO of Barstool Sports is, is another relatively new member of the board of directors that is not included. I new, find that very league. interesting. Yes. Do you have any thoughts about that?
1: Uh, just, I know Barstool Sports has really gotten their hands into wrestling. I mean, they're the, they're the only platform that could literally have a wrestling podcast, a premier and it just beats most wrestling podcasts in the ratings with like a guy that no one really knew, and this and that. Boom, they're they're right in the top five almost every week. So uh, I know Barstool, obviously, they're looking to get their hands more in wrestling. Which I mean, it's it's more content. It's it's another audience. So
0: yeah. So she's helping make decisions. Helping do whatever the board does. So these are people who don't work day to day. Yeah, uh, with WB. But it doesn't obviously it does include Vince and Stephanie and Paul and Nikon. These are people who do work for WWE today, but anyway, there are two new members of the board of directors, Steve Coonan, who is the current CEO of the Atlanta Hawks and he also is in charge of the State Farm arena in Atlanta. He is the former president of Turner Entertainment Networks where he oversaw TNT and TBS and uh, Chris Zellner pointed out to me that he was um, I think he had some involvement in, in the final days of WCW, which I don't know anything about, do you know?
1: uh i'd have to go look back at the nitro book if if he's listed at all um i mean that does kind of sound familiar it wasn't like a big player but yeah nitro book by the way totally recommend it absolutely awesome book
0: yeah and between the sheets th- did a great patreon podcast about the uh the final weeks of of wcw uh which is uh, always great history lessons and connor shell is another will be another new member. These people have to be elected, but as I'll explain in a moment, it's, it's basically a moot point. Um, yeah. Connor, <laughs> Connor Schell, uh, who is the former executive vice president of content at ESPN until very recently. Uh, he is also an executive was the executive for or Maybe still is the executive producer for the 3430 series on ESPN, which, which uh, a couple of years ago did it. Yes. Uh, did a XFL episode. Yep. They that, did a maybe. Ric
1: Flair episode as well. And they used That's a right. lot of, WWE and uh, On the well it's not totally 30 for 30 but same umbrella for the last Dance they Supplied them with WCW uh, Footage of Dennis Rodman Oh wow
2: okay In the hobby It's not easy being a fan Of ripping packs or repacks We hype ourselves up thinking Maybe I can pull a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card but with zero Transparency on available cards and hit rates It's all just a shot in the dark Off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, club.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voice of the Wrestling Podcast Network. So these, these people
0: will be up for election on May 27th. Um, if you are a WWE shareholder, you can vote at that time. Um, however, one man controls 80% of the voting shares. <laughs> so
1: it's the man that never sleeps.
0: <laughs> Nick, Nick Khan? No, no. no. Oh, I feel like he gets a little more sleep than Vince McMahon. Probably. Uh, so we also, as part of the proxy statement, get an update on on shareholders who own more than five percent of shares and and uh, any members of the board directors. So um, Vince McMahon uh, owns about twenty eight million shares which means he owns about 38% of the shares, which is less than a majority. However, as we've talked about a number of times here on Russellomics, Vince McMahon, just like Mark Zuckerberg is a founder and their company went public with two classes of shares, class a shares for the common folks and class B shares for McMahons. So Steph, Stephanie also owns class B shares. Vince owns class B shares, uh, Linda holds a relatively small number of Class B shares. Shane used to have Class B shares before he cashed them out. And that means that Vince McMahon, for every one share that he has, his shares count 10 times as much in terms of voting. Still, still the same value if you were to sell his shares, but he, his shares count 10 times as much. Stephanie's do too. And that means that Vince controls 80% of the voting power.
1: Making sure he can never be pushed out. He's not having a Ted Turner happen. (laughs)
0: Is that what happened to Ted Turner?
1: When they, yeah. When the merger and everything and more people gained share control and all that, they, they pushed him out. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So Vince would have to, I mean, it it probably depends on who, who else owns what, but Vince would have to sell his current balance of shares down to a very small number for, for him to not have 50% or 51% of, of voting power. Um, as usual, as always, the other large shareholders besides Stephanie, as I said, she owns about three percent of the stock, owns about five percent of the voting power. Uh, that Linda owns about two percent of the voting power, about one percent of the stock. Um, those are the, those are individuals. The largest institutional owner, as it has been the case for a number of years now, is Linsdale Train Limited, which is a UK financial institution. Um, and then BlackRock and Vanguard, which are mutual yeah. fund companies who um, this is probably WB is probably one of like maybe hundreds of thousands of, of, of companies that they probably own. Yeah, uh, Vanguard of. is a very, very, very diverse portfolio. Yeah. I've seen on that. As well as uh, Cadian Capital Management, which is a name that I always see here that I don't, don't know that much about. And, and, and I think this is a relatively new, new one to me, Independent Franchise Partners. I think they are a UK firm as well. But uh, and then then there's like the uh, so uh, of all the people that we just mentioned, these those people own seventy eight percent of the stock. Then there's the the rest of the world owns twenty seven percent of the stock. Again, almost completely made up of financial institutions, and I'm I'm sure there's a lot of retail investors some of whom may be listening right now, but it's in the grand scheme of things. It's, it's such a small sliver. Yeah. The WB
1: stockholders on Robin hood is very minute compared to everything else.
0: Does it show you what What do you see there? Does it like show you how many people uh, are, are investing?
1: Uh, let me see here. Cause uh, a friend of the show, Jonathan Ash in, invest on a, Robin through Robin Hood on WWE and he, he was he was showing me uh, before we even talked I saw like yeah he goes you really can't vote anybody out out on the out of the board here <laughs> like it's pretty much no. yeah it's happening uh, let's see here I wonder if you can see anything so, currently going at fifty six forty. that's so right to share that's right um but I don't that's not really giving me much yeah it's you know, it has the like quarter earnings and all that, but doesn't give me much uh, on there. They 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 employ nine hundred people.
0: I That's right. Yes. So, yeah.
1: So yeah, you pretty pretty basic image. I've been. I got caught in the 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 Doge coin, uh, uh, mania on really? Friday. So yeah, there's. Are you a Doge? Are you a Doge coin owner? Hey, I'm a Doge coin owner, but now doge- I'm doge- a little uh. bit. I just no. bought like a hundred bucks, but now I'm now I'm, now it's worth eighty four dollars. So, but I'm gonna stay, and I'm hoping it goes back up. Uh, I've been talking regularly with another friend of the show, Kevin Bennett, about it, and we think it's it's wow. gonna hit a dollar eventually.
0: Is yeah. Kevin Bennett into the Dogecoin? Yes, he is. Yes. Wow. Which yes. is me know an independent wrestler and rapper producer, Kevin Bennett, and Dogecoin investor and Dogecoin investor, <laughs> Dogecoin Moogle. the remix. Anyway, um. That's all for the proxy, I think.
1: All right. And then uh, you did have on here of uh, some
0: uh, SEC correspondence uh, for WWE. Yes, that's my favorite topic in the world of correspondence. This is actually had been out there for a number of months, but I just came across it the other day. And uh, it totally uh, upset my sleep cycle. Actually, what upset my sleep cycle is, is our taping, our post-WrestleMania uh, recording, and t- <laughs> and which, which had me up until like 2 in the morning editing. Um, let's never do that again. Let's never let's never record that late again.
1: <laughs> um, no, yeah!
0: But so I, I I after the proxy statement came out, I was I, I browsing through WS SEC filings for some reason, and I came across oh yeah, there's every now and then you get this correspondence here where apparently they have to publish certain correspondence that they have with the Securities and Exchanges Commission, and uh, one of my favorite wrestling personalities, wrestling related personalities, is is Mr. Lynchank from the SEC, who corresponds with uh, various people at WB including former now former senior vice president uh, mark Cowell um, where he where he wrote to uh, to WB that WB has a in their annual report they they uh, where they break down geographic information and break down some information about their overall revenues uh, they wrote that in in the paragraph below one of these tables they said all right we have two this was their 2019 annual report. So not the most recent one, but the one before that, uh, something like over a hundred pages of, of, information in this, but, uh, one of the paragraphs reads, you know, that there were two c- customers with revenues that individually in acts ax- in excess of 10% of total net revenues there. So they, they have two customers that are giving WB more than 10% of their revenues, um, and, that, and that's all the information that they disclosed about that, that. oh, They also mentioned that they were primarily getting those revenues in the media segment. we has three segments, the uh, media segment, live event segment, and consumer product segment. And uh, in June of this year, but in June of, of last year, yeah, obviously, because June hasn't happened yet this year. June 17th, 2020, um, there was this correspondence, the original letter was written in january of two thousand and nineteen anyway what well, they they told w e hey look in this paragraph where you mentioned that you 've got two customers that are contributing to more than ten percent of your your net revenues you 've got to tell us who those well they don 't have to tell us who those people are, but you have to tell us how much how much revenue they're contributing not just that not just this general yeah they're giving us more than ten percent so mark cowell who who at the time i think he's now left WB, but at the time was the senior vice president of of uh of something financial related uh, wrote to, to uh, the SEC. Okay. We'll uh, we'll, we'll do, we'll do this. And here's an example of how it will look in the future. Um, based on, you, know, here's an example of what it would have looked like in our annual report, had we written it as you, as you wanted us to. So they write net revenues uh, for these two customers that are giving us an excess of 10% of our, of our total revenue in 2019, we're approximately 207,000 This it's actually, these are, already in thousands, so this is really millions. Uh, we're approximately $207 million and $210 million, respectively. Uh, in 2018, uh, we're approximately $176 million and $110 million, respectively. And during the year 2017, we just had one customer uh, that was giving us an excess of 10% of our revenue, and that customer gave us $155 million. So that is, I not not come across this information before, Saw this on, like, Wednesday night. I was up all night, like, fascinated doing spreadsheets. The next day, I have now, I thought I was going to maybe do a video about this. Maybe I still will. I have now made a 44-page PowerPoint about this. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, who do you think these two customers are? Remember, this is... This is, we're all, we're, we're, we'll talk about 2020 in a moment. We're talking about the years of 2017, 2018, 2019, 2017, 2018. There's two customers that are giving them more than 10% of the revenues. 2017, there's only one. Who are these two customers, Chris
1: Uh So it goes till 2019, you said, right?
0: Yes. Don't think about 2020 yet. We will later. So Fox would be one? Not yet. The, Not yet. New, new deals so kicking, new deals kicked in October, 2019. So only a quarter of the year. So NBC universal. Is yes. one of them. Mm-hmm. Ooh, the second one's tough. Who gives W a lot of money? Saudi Arabia, the <laughs> Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> yeah. So, 110 million dollars a year from this second largest customer. Hmm. If you split that in half, you get 55 million dollars and another 55 million dollars. I I thought up to this point that each one of those events was about 50 million dollars. Turns out they're about 55 million dollars, according to this. And, and because those 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 are, it's, it's relatively simple compared to what NBC Universal is doing in terms of trying to figure out what goes where. Um, so it's just, just two pieces of business, right? Two events per year. So $55 million. And it, and it matches in 2018 and 2019. $110 million in both years. Pretty, pretty clear. That that's that got to be Saudi Arabia. And W's biggest customer, pretty clearly, has got to be NBC Universal. So then we move on to the, so this is this all happened in 2020. 2020 ended, We wrote its its 2020 annual report, which it put out in February, just a couple months ago. Um, And it wrote in this same section of the annual report, um, net revenues for these two customers that paid us more than 10% of our total revenues were approximately $270 million and $183 million respectively. Who do you think those two customers are for 2020? So Fox would be
1: one of them. And then would the second be NBC Universal?
0: Yeah. Which one do you think is,
1: is bigger? You would think Fox, but yet NBC Universal does have two shows.
0: Yes. So which one do you think is bigger?
1: I'm going to go NBC Universal. I'm going to go The Wildcard.
0: You have to be correct in that. Um, it, I mean, it doesn't explicitly say, but I the, the, the bigger one I think has to be NBC Universal. And the other one, $183 million in 2020, there was only one Saudi Arabia show, uh, has to be Fox. Um, and, and I think Fox would have been bigger, even if there had been Saudi Arabia shows, because Saudi Arabia would, have, would still have only come to $110 million. That also tells us that there's probably no escalators in, in these, in this the Saudi contract, um, because it was the same from 18 and 19. So from this, we learn that WB receives about $55 million from the Saudi government for each event. Um, and I, and I think we, I I will try to get into this in some greater detail, but I think we might be able to deduce the rate of escalation for Fox for the Fox deal, and we might, just might, be able to uh, maybe get some insight on the the value of the, at least the first NXT deal with NBC Universal to be on the USA Network. What I I think basically my t- my takeaway I've done a, a ton of math on this and. A, try to play out a lot of different scenarios with where it it largely centers around the question of how much. So NBC universal, let's talk about where, what money is NBC universal giving to, to WB? We know in 2020 was $270 million, but what are they paying for? They're paying for raw, which we know over the, over the five years between 2020 and 2024, it's really from Q4, 2019 to Q4, 2024. They're paying WB an average over those five years of, 265 million dollars according to the Hollywood Reporter which has basically been all but confirmed by WB itself um so there's Raw just Raw but then NBC Universal is also paying WB for reality programming such as The Miz and Mrs and Total Bellas just those two at this point there's no more Total Divas episodes yeah, being Told produced yeah Divas is gone yeah um and then is left out of that would go, would probably go to NXT alone. So I think reality TV is worth about 20 to $30 million per year, around a million dollars per episode. Um, so if we can f- estimate how much W made just for raw in 2020, and if we can estimate how much W made for reality programming in 2020, we subtract those values from 270 and we get the NXT number for 2020. Um, it still depends on the rate of escalation for the raw contract it depends on whether there were any changes in, in the compensation for, for the reality programs, which we, which we have no real facts about anyway. Um, but, but I, I, find it, I find that the scenarios where NXT makes like 40 or $50 million a year to be less plausible than the scenarios in which it makes like maybe $20 million a year, or maybe, maybe even a little less than that. So I will try to, to, Maybe make a video or an article or something in in the, in the, like this week that explains this in some sort of digestible terms. But uh, it looks like to me, in my judgment and opinion, that NXT's at least its first deal. We have no idea whether the, the New Deal, we can talk about more about that in a moment though, whether the New Deal was an increase, a decrease, or, or the same value. Um, But we know AEW's worth 44 three and a half, roughly million dollars a year. So this would put NXT at about half of that for what it's worth. And, and when it comes to, you know, your sort of your value per viewer, um, probably still well under RAR our SmackDown, but, but then again, they're lower on the chart in terms of how, how close they are to the top. Uh, <laughs> they're there. I, I think that the, the most popular, most watched programs are, are super valuable Almost like logarithmically more valuable than, than the programs below it because people are I think in the, the economics work out and like in theory people are people are holding on to their cable subscriptions because of the, the programs that they watch most often which is sort of is obvious right so the programs that are that the, the fewer people watch are almost exponentially less valuable because they're not um, contributing to this to uh, retention of of cable and satellite subscriptions or VMVPD subscriptions so so I so I think like the the lower you are on the chart, you get way more valuable. Not just a, not just um in a, in a linear sense more valuable, if that makes sense.
1: All right. So with that, I do have one more question for you before we wrap mm. up, Brandon. Uh, mm-hmm. And and those of you who listen to WrestleNomics or follow the WrestleNomics Twitter, or follow Brandon. You know that WWE has had a that had a very 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 good quarter one and are looking to have a very very good quarter two and the rumors the rumblings the reports were uh the 10 people that were released this week and the mass roster cuts on april 15th which is the same date that happened
0: last year they were told it was due to budget cuts (laughs) what are your thoughts brandon the timing would tell you that there's something to that um because it was at the same time last year so maybe there's some sort of Recurring calendar issue where they're trying to meet a certain amount of, you know, they're trying to lower their expenses ahead of something. Um, obviously, WB is more profitable than it's ever been, and we will probably have another year this year where they're similarly profitable. Um, they're more profitable today than they were in the Attitude Era, even if you adjust for inflation. Um, but I, I could see, uh, you know, somebody telling talent relations, "Okay, we, we gotta we gotta cut our expenses under under this under this benchmark here." And so John Laurinaitis or whomever sat down and said, "Okay, we got to cut some people. or right, right, who can we most afford to, to get to get rid of?" So that's what they did. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Samoa Joe was maybe uh, you know Samoa was probably the biggest name here, and it was pro- I would guess because he's the biggest name here it was probably the most highly compensated am- among the ones who were cut. But uh, yeah, it was probably just a matter of trying to, to to get under a certain number. It's not it's not as if obviously WWE is. It needs to, to cut costs to stay profitable. But you yeah. want to but you want to uh run a lean company. Um I think this is different than last year in terms of being able to make a moral judgment. Like last year it, there was far more uncertainty. And last year it was not just talent that was cut. Right. No, People put the, the, the media, the wrestling media world uh focuses on the wrestlers because those are the names that you recognize, those are the personalities that you see on TV. But they cut and furloughed a ton of employees as well. So there was a lot of that that happening, which I think is, it's one thing to cut talent who are already making six figures or, or a lot more. It's another thing to cut employees who are more like everyday people in the middle of a pandemic where there's vast uncertainty in a year where you're going to be your most profitable ever. I think it's different now than that where right, we've been with this pandemic for about a year. The economy has not completely fallen fallen apart, although there is still increased unemployment. But uh, yeah, it's, and it, and there's apparently no employees cut although we are not that far removed from employees having their uh, their bonuses cut but they did get some some stock awards which have now vested oh my god what was that uh it's just uh one of my shelves it's fine <laughs> <sighs> everything is anyway, fine it was it was the jedi powers of Vincent man yeah. thank god, god talking about it Don't tell me how to run my company <laughs> okay but- um Yes.
1: But but yeah, so with that, uh Brandon, this looks like it wraps up a another yeah. dish how, you, how right? are you feeling?
0: Are you are you surviving?
1: Uh I'm I'm okay, but I'm not gonna lie, I cannot wait to go lay on my couch. Okay. <laughs> like it's like I said it, I'm holding it up here, you know. I took some uh you know, quill and, and ate wow. an orange, a whole orange before the, wow. the broadcast and
0: uh So that's all we have for this week. Do you have anything new to plug? yeah
1: uh this wednesday uh you can check out uh rti pod on twitter rediscovering indies on uh, facebook instagram part two of x our xpw deep dive and on this one we're going to talk about a lot of things you know rob black ran for mayor of los angeles in 2001 we're, we're going to talk about that no we did not uh we're, we're going to talk about that we are actually going to talk about the free fall incident with new jack and vic grimes uh we're going to talk about them losing their tv deal with america one which you have to do that <laughs> is is you have to take some skill <laughs> to do that uh um, but uh, and, and and there's so much more to we cover. Uh, there's you know, there. Here's an interesting thing I did not know that WCW were trying like we still telling employees that they couldn't work certain promotions after they sold the company WWE and like WWE didn't pick up certain contracts. For example, we find out in this Conan, they told him he wasn't allowed to work at XPW, and if he did, it be a breach of contract, and they would stop paying him. And same thing with Shane Douglas. (laughs) Which, Conan was still working Mexico and Puerto Rico and all that, but because it was the United States, they found out about it.
0: All right. This is WWE Q1 Week coming up, covering the period of January 1st to March 31st. So just short of WrestleMania. No and probably no WrestleMania information unless they want to throw something out there for some reason. But that's coming up. The earnings report is coming up on Thursday. Uh, Information will will drop the just after the market closes around 4:30 p.m eastern and then there will be a conference call at 5 p.m eastern with all of our favorite superstars including Vince McMahon, Nick Khan, Stephanie McMahon and Christina Salin. that will be happening I will be covering it in detail on Twitter and maybe we'll do something here for for patrons something special because that's a special day um, I'm appearing with post wrestling also later this week I'm getting my second vac- vaccine dose later this week and, uh, yeah, you can follow WrestleNomics at WrestleNomics. You can go to WrestleNomics.com and read things. And you can uh, follow me at Brandon Thurston. I'm Brandon Thurston. And he's Chris Gullo. And we'll talk to you next time.